Nisi Savani, yeah, yeah, aka yeah. The Streets Father. How are you, mate? Well. You said it well. I'm doing very well, bro. Mate, we were just talking about it and riffing a little bit about it then. Meeting you is hard to explain. So I'll set the scene for everyone. We're at Luna Park in Sydney. And I've gone on the second day of humankind, this incredible summit that just got such a melting pot of human beings from around the world together to speak and share and eh? connect. So cool. And I'd spoken, I think maybe an hour before I walked into the green room just to have, mate, I heard there was a cheese platter in there, if I'm being (laughs) honest. And I thought maybe I'll just have a browse, see if I can get a little snack. Yeah, yeah. I remember walking into the room with Soph and seeing you sat on the couch and just straight away, you've got a warmth and an energy that I just gravitated towards. And I just remember wanting to chat to you, wanting to pick your brain. And I just felt like we connected really quick. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's not hard to connect with someone like you too, though. Like, you're so inviting. You know, and I like, a, and no, straight up, though. Um, you came in awesome. Well, I mean, like, shout out to that event. That was great. But I think there's a lot of people there also that were in their zone as well. Mm. Um, or just wanting to maybe not talk to many people for whatever reasons, maybe preparing, maybe they're just coming off a presentation and they're just, they're uh, feeling the rush kind of die down. But when you came in completely different to everybody else with big smiles, super enthusiastic and happy, it was like, yo, I like this guy, what's up? (laughs) And yeah, we chatted, man. And um, I remember telling my friend after you left, I was like, man, this kid hopefully will go far and like do really well because he seems really genuine. Um, But then also... Uh, there was a word that I said about you and I've been trying to figure this out right before we actually started filming and I've become fixated on the word and I think that's what's happening in the back of my mind right now. Mm. I'm like, what's that word? What's that word? And I even went on thesaurus and I still couldn't find it. So I'm going to try to figure it out. If it comes out randomly throughout the podcast, you guys know what's going on. I'm giving you guys a disclaimer, all right? Well, for context for the (laughs) listeners and the viewers, if you're viewing this, it will be hard to miss the fact that this guy has one of the nicest sets of chompers on him <laughs> that I've ever seen on a cat. Yo, like, shout out Dr. Nima Ferdosi. He's an amazing dentist. Like, <laughs> they they really looked after me. Um, he was working at Bond Street back in the day. Um, now he's moved clinics, but that whole, that whole team was great, you know, and I was, like, super keen on going overseas and doing them. Because, um, like, I, you know, it's funny, man. Like, I, I was always insecure about my teeth always insecure about my teeth that was like one of my biggest insecurities um so much so that like my middle brother used to always make fun of them um calling them like because they were super like discolored too they came out like yellow looking you know what i mean so like for me every time i'd laugh i'd like (laughs) (laughs) like always covering myself and uh he used to be like your teeth are so yellow they slow down traffic you know what i mean (laughs) stuff like that you know what i mean i used to hate that joke bro and you know, big ass buck teeth and just yellow and mm. it never actually made sense. It was pretty powerful. When I got my teeth fixed, I started taking out some of my piercings and I actually started to remove face tattoos without realizing. Mm. And then I kind of just made the correlation to be like, whoa, I was actually trying to cover my face because of my insecurity. I want to take away the attention from my teeth. So I used to have both my noses. I used to have dangling earrings. I used to, you know what I mean? Like I have my, you know, all these different like tattoos on my face that have been lasered off. Like it's so funny you say that because when you walked in today, I immediately looked at your beard. Yeah. And I was like, pretty sure you had a beard last time, but I remember an extra face tattoo, or maybe an extra two, and I'm like, is the beard covering them? 
Well, I do have actually funny enough. So I got I got four face tattoos still, two on my eyelids, mm. so one on one, and then. But they kind of disguised. They are kind of disguised, and there's two on my jawbone or jawline. Mm. Um, but they're my parents and my brothers. Okay. So I'm like, I'm never gonna touch that anyways. Yeah. But plus, I don't want a laser going near my eye anyways. But yeah. even though I had laser all around my eyes, I just didn't want to touch my actual eyelid. It's really whack how they do it. They get a spoon, <laughs> and they're like, or like it's like it looks like a spoon. They lift up the eyelid, put it underneath, mm. so your eyes closed on this like concave metal plate, and then they just go at it. So. Bro, that scares me. I I've know. Got, oh, I've got this thing with like, <laughs> I'm so good with needles. Like I've had so many needles in my life as a CF patient. Yeah, like yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so comfortable for me. But I've always had this thing where I can't do eye drops. Like I. But didn't you get like laser eye surgery? I got laser though? eye surgery, which is crazy. Right? And you but told me that was the best decision you've ever made in your best life. Best decision I've ever made. But the funny <laughs> thing is the eye drops after I used to, I'd have to get, I was a fucking grown ass man. I was like 25 and I'd have to get my dad to. <laughs> hold my eye open and put the eye drops in for me because I've got I've got kind of like curly long eyelashes I feel like for a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got those eyelashes that like so if you've met so so will go God, you got good eyelashes. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I think, feel like girls wish they had my eyelashes. You know, it's funny. I used to have long eyelashes too. And everyone used to be like, oh, you're so cute. And this is before I hit puberty. And mm. like all my friends were hitting puberty. And I was like, I don't want to be cute anymore. So I cut my eyelashes back. I cut them oh, in like yeah. half the length. Yeah, so I feel like we had similar eyelash lengths. Can I ask, do uh. eyelashes, you'd know this because you're a barber, do <laughs> eyelashes grow at the same rate as normal hair? I don't think, I don't think eyelashes really, well, I mean, like, I'm sure they grow, but I'm just confused because after I cut my eyelashes, they've never grown to be the same length as they used to be. Like, mine were long, bro. But surely they'd have to grow because I lose eyelashes all the time. Otherwise, I'd be out here just with no eyelashes. Yeah, that's odd. a very good point. So so I don't understand how it works. Maybe it just made my face grew. Maybe I just got older. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But I just remember after that, like, I think about this all the time. People are like, yo, when I, I offer to trim eyebrows, everyone's like, no, no, they're going to grow faster. I'm like, how? Like, how does it work? And I'm still trying to figure this out, and I've Googled it. And some reports say they grow faster. Some reports say they don't. So, mm. like, I just don't understand how this works. I'm not sure at what point has an old wives tale turned to fact. <laughs> but like I guess that's like majority of facts now. They all probably started off as wives tales. So you I get remember what I'm saying? That a hundred percent. And so we're very, we're talking about aesthetics here, but I'm okay with it because I've got a story I want to share with you. And so every every man who has ever had a haircut knows the feeling of sitting down in the chair with the greatest hopes and aspirations for what this haircut is going to look like. And at least once in their life, they've been disappointed. Yeah. Now you're right. incredible at what you do, right? Thanks, bro. And, but I'm going to share a story with you that I think is quite funny. So I, for majority of my life, have always kept a pretty clean haircut. You know, like this is kind of what I'd say is like my go-to average. It's a little bit overgrown at the moment, but normally like a lower fade into a little bit of hair on the top. But I used to keep it a little bit tighter and shorter as a younger man. Now, I was about 18 at the time and we'd booked a, a trip, my dad, my sister and I, to go to Italy and Greece. And well, when I say we booked a trip, my dad booked it and paid for it. <laughs> We're very, very grateful, my sister and I, that, you know, as teenagers, our parents took us away quite a bit and you know, got to do the Europe thing with dad and the Europe thing with mom and very grateful. But beside the point, we're in Rome. And, you know, when you're on holidays, you take more photos than you'd normally take at home. And we're there, we're living it up, we're enjoying. Rome is 
in my opinion, one of the coolest cities in the world because it just has so history, yeah. history. And just like, you know, most cities look the same. Nothing looks the same as Rome. Yo, whoa, that's cool. You know? Yeah. And so we're in Rome having dinner one night and we're getting a family photo <laughs> and this incredibly, as many of them are, charismatic Italian man is working at the restaurant. He's the owner. He's the chef. He pops out and he said, oh, would you like me to take a photo of you three? And we're like, yeah. And he takes a photo and he's, and I'm kind of trying to move my hair out of the way. And he's like, my friend, you need a haircut. And I'm like, I really do. And so dad said, well, why don't after dinner, when we're walking in the streets, and I feel like everything's open in Rome. He's like, we'll find a barber. Like and it's literally story. like the second, it was the second hair, like the second night, I should say, of our three and a half week trip. Yeah. So why on earth I didn't get one beforehand is beyond me. But I was like, this is going to annoy me for the rest of the trip. And I want to look back on the photos and love the photos. So we go for a stroll after dinner, belly full of pasta, and we come across this barber shop. And we walk in, and straight away, my dad goes to the lads in the shop, how much for a haircut? To which they respond, 20 euro. And dad says, just 20 euro for a haircut, just 20 euro. And so dad goes, would you like a cut? I go, yeah. So I sit down, and this guy puts me in the chair, wraps the cape around me, and he says, what would you like? And at the time, I'd say it's probably like about a four on the sides. I said, maybe just like two-ish around the sides. This is kind of before the fade, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? It was just like you kind of have one length up the sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I said, just a tiny bit off the top. And he goes, no worries. And so I'm sitting there and just like, you know, kind of relaxing in the chair. I enjoy the experience of a haircut. And I just hear, oh, no. and I look and I'm like, that is a complete zero the whole way out the sides. Oh, he's not heard a single thing that I've said. And by this point, he's already gone straight up. So there's no point in correcting him because the damage is done. So you, you just now have to make it look completely quiet. I just completely quiet. And I'm just like shocked. My jaws dropped. And my dad and my sister find it hilarious. They're laughing at the top of their lungs, taking photos. <laughs> and I'm so disappointed because I'm like, I just want to get so many photos on this holiday. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was so short around the sides and the back. Like, it's just skin, right? Complete skin fade the whole way. No fade, just skin. Oh, man. He takes a bit off the top. He kind of managed the top okay. And then he said to me, um, would you like me to shampoo? And I was just like, no, nah, thanks. Just like 20 euro, that's okay. I'm kind of thinking, let's just get out of there. And he's like, no, nah, it's okay, just 20 euro. And I'm like, well, I guess like you completely ruined the back and sides of my head. You may as well shampoo it, right? <laughs> so he starts shampooing it and I sort of close my eyes because you don't want to get the soap in your eyes. And then randomly, I just feel like he starts shaving half no. of the width of my, I've got pretty chunky caterpillars above my eyes. <laughs> and he's like half the width. And I swear to God, I went from looking like an 18 year old male to like, <laughs> Kind of like Ellen DeGeneres, like these skinny little eyebrows are like, <laughs> sort of like, <laughs> oh, you know that shoot. sun, like sun stained, sort oh. of like blondie sort of hair where it goes a bit lighter. And like he Ellen shaves DeGeneres my forehead and I was so like, funny. I was like, he shaves my forehead and I'm like, there is no way in the world that hair, like there's no hair there, but it's going to start growing now. Because the minute you touch something, I feel like it just starts growing. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just such a funny experience <laughs> looking back, but I think... Man, you've got, um, I've spoken to brain surgeons on the podcast. I've spoken to people who have, Man, you know, these funny. high intensity, very tense jobs. Yeah. Yours is one of them, man, because yeah. the souls of many men yeah. are in your hands. Yeah. And I guess that's, 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 a, that's a funny story, by the way, that Ellen DeGeneres part killed me. <laughs> I, um, 
<laughs> I um I definitely have to agree with you on that because you know when someone steps into my chair automatically they're putting down a wall mm. because they're trusting me full force with their image right and and there's a huge sense of vulnerability right there so when a dude's coming in and they've never gotten a haircut from you and they're coming in essentially blind unless they've you know searched up some reviews or mm. they potentially looked at photos or any of your work but sometimes a lot of guys don't do that and back in the day before social media was a thing or google reviews that was kind of majority of the cases so they rock up they sit in your chair hoping for the best but i think that's why there's such a close relationship between the person in the chair and the barber because already there's a vulnerability and uh, a, a lack of you know walls kind of holding back that connection or that ability to connect to someone because you know if i meet you on the on the bus and you don't know me and i kind of look intimidating you're reserved and you're going to kind of instantly be like all right hold up but if you're going to be in my space at a barbershop and you're like, okay, cool, I've got to trust this guy because I'm here with the cape around my neck. It's a very, very different se setting to being in a bus or late at night, uh, me bumping into you outside of a club or a restaurant or, you know, sharing an Uber or at an airport. Like sometimes you're willing to have that connection. Sometimes you're willing to open up like we did at Humankind, uh, Humankind right? We, I think, instantly both decided, all right, cool, let's be vulnerable and knock down our walls. But not everyone's like that. But there's almost like no way around that at a barbershop. I mean, yeah, sometimes you get into someone's chair or so you'll get into a barber's chair and you'll still have reservations and you'll still have, you know, a wall around you, but you're more susceptible to vulnerability than you would be outside of that setting because mm. you're kind of like, all right, cool. Let me see what I got. Let me set up what I got coming for me. You know what I mean? So I, I think exactly that's why mean. I'm so lucky, bro. Like, and that's why I have that ability to connect. You yeah, but I, I would also say that to even extend that point, I think that there's something about you. And when I say the warmth of your character is the first thing that I notice, I think it's particularly the smile. And I, I've always had a firm belief, and this is why I'd encourage anyone, when you walk down the street and you walk past someone that you don't know, it never hurts to give them a smile. Because I believe that, you know, what's an, an analogy I could use here? Let's say that the smile is like the doorman to someone's soul. Yeah, that's cool. You know, and it's like, the minute that you smiled at me, I knew that there was an invitation to connect. Cool. And I love that. Cool. And I often think that one of the things I, I often really hold myself to this standard is anytime I work past an old person. Yeah, me too. I always greet me, them and give them too. a smile because I think that more often than not, sometimes they've lost a little bit of faith in the world that they now exist in. Bro, um, that's crazy you're saying that. And I feel like I'm even more... Um, like in tune to that idea because people that look like me mm. are not people that are going to be smiling at the elderly generally mm. or it's usually the elderly won't expect a smile from someone that's looking like me do you get what I'm saying so I get even, exactly even more so I'm just like listen I'm not a bad because I've had I've had old women cross the road when I've been walking down and there's no reason for them to have yeah. crossed and I realize and I'm like and like a lot of people bro like I'll be with people and like yo the hell man how can they judge man like what the hell is pissing me like i get i get oh my god bro i get asked <laughs> almost not all the time but i get quite regularly whenever i'm leaving like you know a shopping center or kmart or whatever mate can i see your bags mm. you know i'm like yeah of course you know like and i'm not mad about it i'm not angry because i'm like if i react i'm gonna basically fulfill 
that perception that they've Correct. already got a and b it's like by getting mad it's not going to help change potentially someone's demeanor perception or idea right so how can i almost not kill them with kindness but it's like you know shout out matt brown sarah brown from my father's barber um they they, they told me this the quote um by oh my god i'm forgetting it is it um it's to seek to understand not to be understood mm, i love that uh, who was that uh, maya angelo or was it brianna anyways it was one of those two um very influential people and you know matt brown told me that once and I, I listened to that and i heard that and i really absorbed it and i was like man my whole life i've been trying to make people understand me and I found myself like always finding issues and like I was feeling anxious and I was feeling like, man, like they just don't get it. They just don't understand, you know, and just caused so much uncertainty and angst and, and stress in my life because I felt like my whole life from morning till night was just going out there trying to prove my point and explain to people so they could understand. So I had the sense of fulfillment of being like, oh, they get it, you know, and it's crazy. Like how it was just a constant cycle of distress. It's very much a... It's very much a universal human experience, this idea that we want to be understood. There's something yeah. about, and, and I think it's why we gravitate towards certain people. And <clears throat> I heard this incredible quote, um, Andrew Huberman, the world-renowned neuroscientist who's responsible yeah. for some incredible work and yeah. incredible research. And he was just sharing um, on an episode of a podcast, it was either with Lex Friedman or with Cameron Haynes, he was speaking particularly about sort of his personal life experience and he spoke about um, falling in love and finding a relationship and he said that's really the one area of his life he's not quite figured out yet and he said that an ex-partner of his who he's still very good friends with to this day um, once sent him a quote that said something like men settle with a woman who makes them feel understood and I thought isn't that so true because I've never felt more comfortable in my life than I do when I'm in the presence of Soph. That's cool. You know, and I, th cool. and I think just in life in general, to yeah. feel understood is something we all desire. Yeah. But it's like you just naturally, you can't get that from everyone. And so it's, no. you know, it's such a tough game to play if you're out in the world trying to get everyone to understand you. Mm. And, you know, it's empathy is this piece. And, and I must say, Nazar, like I sat this morning at a cafe and excited about our chat today. And, we wanted, like, I wanted to have you on the podcast a year ago, but I remember one thing you said to me is, let's do it in person. And I loved the challenge of that because I thought <laughs> this is going to be such a better chat if we get to sit face to face. And, you know, that understanding, that energy you get when you're in the same room. And so I've looked forward to the moment where we could finally get this together. And I'm so glad it happened. Sick, bro. But one of the things that I was just sitting this morning, um, having a coffee and some brekkie at Cheeky Monkeys in Richmond, which has kind of been my home base for the last couple of days that yeah. I've been here. And I was just like, I'm just going to go through your socials because one thing for me that stood out is over the last like month or so, we've had this organized. Everyone's asked me who's coming on the pod when you go to Melbourne. And I've been telling friends, family, connections who I've got coming on. And every time I say your name and I say, um, you might know Naz as the streets barber, everyone's like, oh, love that guy. Really? Man, the minute that I posted the photo with you. Yeah. I can't tell you how many people, 10 to 20 people messaged me. Really? Like went out of their way to send me a message and say, I love the streets barber. Like <laughs> they just crazy. love your content. Wow. And so I probably hadn't done a real deep dive on your content because 
our initial connection wasn't through social it was human to human yeah hell yeah you know so like it's that's how i perceived you and so as i was looking through i mean i was like this guy's such a good man and i watched your tedx talk in melbourne and i just love how you spoke about purpose yeah and i really want to dive into the depths of purpose today but before we do We've spoken about so many random things here so far, but I've loved it, man. I've loved it. Cool. One of the things that I really want to go back to is I think barbering is a vehicle for you. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure it's a passion too, but it's a vehicle for you to, you know, serve a purpose in life. Yeah, big time. But what's the story behind it? Because behind every great mission is a great story. Thanks, bro. I, um, I, I, you know, it it, it trips me out when people are like, oh, I know that guy or he's a good guy because I don't, I don't really understand and I, it just seems so like far-fetched to think that you can have a presence online and then it translates to real life because I, I really see them as two different things because social media is in real life, right? Mm. So my real life is like, I'm just I'm just a dude walking down the street like everyone else. When people are like, oh man, I love your stuff. I'm like, whoa, it always trips me out still to this day. Mm. It's been like 10 years deep. Um, so yeah, but whenever I hear that, like I'm always like, whoa, I'm like taken back by it. I just can't believe it. Um, but if anyone's watching this and they said any kind things about me, I appreciate you very much. Thank you. Um, so it, it, it kind of all started, man, with uh, me getting into barbering. I used to always cut hair uh, for fun, but I never did it properly. I was never taking it serious. Um, and every time, you know, family and friends would tell me cut hair, I would always get pissed off, like thinking, is that all you guys think I can do? You know, you don't think I can do more because I grew up with a family of just absolute legends, academics, scholars, philanthropists you know, and doing crazy, crazy, amazing things. Um, and so I wanted to be like that. So a barber was nowhere even close to that. So I used to get offended almost, you know, mm. when, well, not almost, I would get really offended actually when people would say, do that. Um, but, you know, uh, through 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 certain experiences and, and, and trials and tribulations in my life, you know, it kind of led me to realize, yo, I gotta actually knuckle down and change my ways. And one of the things that I decided to do was actually live a life that I wanted to live um, doing stuff that I really enjoyed and I was cutting. So I kind of just taught myself over the years and would, you know, watch YouTube and uh, just watch different barbers in different shops, you know, for free for years. Um, and eventually I got a, you know, opportunity and I was cutting hair in a shop, but I was really like, you know, amateur, new, um, fresh, but yet I was getting, a, you know, booked out um, just like the other barbers there. So I never really clicked why, um, but I think what happened was when I had actually met this one guy and I gave him a haircut and I could see the change within himself. Um, he was actually uh, one of the um, local window washers at the at the traffic lights. Um, he'd always be, you know, just on the side of the road, rain or shine, washing windows, sometimes tweaking out. Um, and after a while, we didn't see him for like weeks and I thought he was you know done for or dead or something I don't know and uh then he comes in and he's like can I get a haircut and we were just like all shocked because he used to do this across the street from the barbershop and I was like yeah absolutely so anyways I gave him a haircut and it was cool um, and there was a couple of other stories and situations with individuals but this one specifically was like a crazy crazy moment for me and you know him telling me how he sobered up uh like a few weeks ago and he's really trying to be you know a better human and change his ways and wants to finally be a father again to his kid and it was pretty pretty remarkable and I was giving him a haircut and I was like really trying to get into connecting with the guy and serving him as best as I could um, 
and when I was doing that, like, he kind of just stopped. He's like, man, you know, you kind of remind me of me, like, you know, washing the windows for taxis. And I was like, why? You know, because I was really, really trying to make him, like, look amazing as best as I could. It wasn't just a transaction uh, for money, but it was more of, like, a exchange of souls, really, I felt. Mm. And, um, you know, he's like, you know, it's just because whenever I would wash the windows of taxi drivers, I could see they appreciated it the most because, you know, they were always doing stuff for others. No one was doing anything for them. Um, and I just felt like every time I would do it and take care of their car, you know, they were the most appreciative. <laughs> and I was like, you know, it, it's such a simple story, but for me, it was like, whoa, you know what I mean? And I, uh, I, I, I took that on, and I was, and it was a, it was pretty, pretty powerful. And then his mom came in, and his mom came in and started to like take photos, you know, on this old flip phone because this was many years ago, and she was like so old, and like trying to look at the camera, like. You know, scrolling through, the glasses were down here, and he was just so happy like this, like a little boy. This guy's like 50 years old. Mm. But it was just, it was, there was such purity in that exchange. And then I just kind of sat there and, like, just watched that whole experience. And I was like, man. But then I just put myself in that situation because I was there a few years before that as a drug addict. Um, and, you know, I remember my mom being so proud of me, too, and, like, so, so happy to see me when I came out of rehab, you know, and... I just felt like that was the exact same situation. I was like, yo, look at this. I've got a second chance at life. And now using this craft to connect to people made sense as to why I was able to get booked out because it wasn't necessarily my skills, but it was more the ability to connect. And I don't have to do anything because people are coming to me, right? Like every 30 minutes. So like, you know, I think about that story you told me in Italy, in Rome. The guy, obviously, I don't think wanted to connect to you. He just kind of wanted to get his 20 euros, right? But it ended up costing 40. Yeah. <laughs> the shampoo cost. The, that's, that's <laughs> you got played, boy. Yeah, we did. Uh, so, yeah, but for me, it's like free or not, it's just like it doesn't make a difference because that connection is, is kind of what, mm -hmm. what, I'm, what I'm seeking, you know, uh, or, or wanting to get out of that exchange. Um, but... You know, I, I decided to go. And then after that experience, I would always pass this homeless guy on my way to work. And one day, instead of giving him his coffee and a muffin like I usually did, I basically was like, yo, you want a haircut? And then he's like, yeah, brother, I would love one. And I was like, cool, wicked, man. And, you know, we kind of sat there on a rock. Um, no word of a lie. It was just a big-ass rock on the side of the street. And, um, yeah, man, he, he just kind of pulled up. I mean, I pulled up, put the caper on him, and... Gave him a mohawk with a rat tail. He was super bogan. You know, it was great. And um, I remember your story about this yeah. at um, HumanCon. Make sure you keep me ready, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He <laughs> loved that. And uh, shaved his face. And it was it was pretty cool. Like, I, um, I, I feel like that connection and people walking by and being like, what's going on? Because this is before, like, socials was a huge thing. And people on Facebook would, like, you know, do their content of, Let's see who stops and does this for this person or give this mm. homeless man 500 bucks, blah, blah, blah. Um, the people were still kind of confused as to what this energy was and what this thing was about because I wasn't going out with the camera. I wasn't, you know, filming a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and I was just doing it. It was great. Um, and that exchange, again, that guy looks at me and goes, man, thanks for making me feel human. You know what I mean? And I was like, damn, like, I just gave this guy a haircut and I connected with him for 20, 30 minutes. But he started to feel human, bro. Mm. So before that, he wasn't feeling like a human, which was crazy. And that kind of just like, you know, spearheaded the movement of what I was doing. Um, and eventually I started to realize there's so many beautiful stories from people on the streets. 
stories that we'd probably never hear about because a lot of the times many of these guys uh, and women never make it off the streets so then I started to be like yo why don't I just start telling stories I want to be a storyteller so I would do before and afters and share stories mm, you get I love me that. but it wasn't so much like yo let me put myself on the limelight because it was never like that mm. um but yeah, I mean, obviously, with all the with all the reports and the, and the news channels and the documentaries, like it obviously started to not necessarily become about me, but I was like the streets barber. But then halfway through that movement, we shifted from all right, bro, it's not about me. So we changed our slogan and the company name to We Not Me. You get love me? that. And I got that shit tattooed on my head. I'll shave it off right now if we had clippers, and I'll show you guys. Like we, not me. Like I'm, I, I live that to the dome, literally. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, and like I'm never gonna be say I'm the first person to ever give haircuts on the streets. I'm never gonna say I'm gonna be the last person. Uh, people, you know, I've had people hit me up and like, yo, this guy's copying you in S Santa Monica. I'm like, he's not copying anything. He's giving back, and that's dope because I don't live there. Yeah, and and that's the. <laughs> You know, that's part of the power of the purpose. Yeah, right? I've only got two hands. <laughs> you know what I mean? I love that. So, yeah, exactly. So, my whole purpose was to serve. But I think it's everyone's purpose in life is to serve in their own capacity, in their own way, through talents and skills that they can benefit from the most. Mm. Or uh, that through talents and skills that they actually really are good at or they're been acquired or 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 like destined to have where other people can benefit from the most do you get what i'm saying i get exactly what you're saying i often speak about the role that purpose has played in my life and one of the truest and most profound definitions of purpose that i still resonate with till this day is jay shetty i'm not sure if you've ever yeah, heard of, of jay yeah and i heard his description of purpose is the thing that really first gave me a foundational understanding of what that feeling of fulfillment really come down to and he said find firstly a gift or a passion or something that you are super talented at and then ask yourself the question how can i use that in service of other people does he really say that yes i didn't know he says that that's perfect yeah so i read that in one of his books or seen that on one of his podcasts and um i, d I just found for me, Purpose has had such a a fulfilling place in the last four years of my life in particular. But I really want to touch on something you shared in that beautiful story. You spoke about how he said he felt human. And you spoke about his job, you know, window washer. And it's so interesting. I don't know if you've heard of Harry Garside, the boxer. Harry won the bronze medal at Tokyo in his weight class. And Harry Garside, shout out to my man, is an incredible human being. You would love Harry. I feel like you and Harry would connect so well. We've never met face to face, but I've had him on the podcast and we've talked here and there. And Harry has this one thing that he does every month called the uncomfortable challenge. And every month, Harry sets himself a challenge to do something that's uncomfortable and he ticks off something new all the time. Now we hear that in this day and age and we go, oh, that means a really tough run or a really tough workout or something like that. Maybe some months it does. But on this one particular month, I remember it being maybe last year or the year before, he set himself the challenge to on one day, go out and wash windows on the street. And he spoke about a particular experience in which he'd been driving, lives in sort of city area in Sydney. He'd been driving and just thought, fuck, how hard must it be for those people to be at the point where like that's their option to make money. That's what they have to do. 
and how often do we like brush them past or you know we drive past them and we get frustrated they're in our way and so he went out and done it and he sort of like filmed himself at little moments here and there just on his selfie phone and spoke about how uncomfortable it felt and I almost remember one of the words being that he felt so unseen mm. you know Whoa. and so when I hear you share that story that gentleman that walked into the barber shop and he said oh, you know I feel human I think it's like for the first time and like his mum with that flip phone. Yeah, 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 yeah. For for the first time in a while maybe she's seen her little boy. Yeah, yeah. And for yeah. the first time he's seen the truest sense of himself. And I think that's such a special story. You know, you know, so it was actually the a homeless guy outside that said, Thanks for making me feel human again. It wasn't mm, the guy in the barbershop. But the funny thing is, I actually the reason why I'm correcting you is because I know this is gonna be you know viewed and stuff and people are gonna be like he's not talking about that but that guy actually also said something very similar which is funny mm. the guy in the barbershop so it's it's crazy that you're bringing that up because he's saying like you know just the fact that he's like when people give anything back to the guys who drive taxis it's like you're doing something for them which makes them feel like they were valued mm. do you know what i mean so it's like you taking the time and really caring for me the way you did makes me feel valued because he didn't feel like he was valued based on what he was doing, constantly doing stuff for people. Yeah, sure, taxi drivers are making money, and it's our job. And he was washing windows, and he's making money. But it just didn't seem like an exchange of like people wanting to do it as much. It's just they just look at you as expendable or just items of, uh, you know, transport or, you know, mm -hmm. cleaning, whatever it is, um, but not like a real person. Like, we, how many times do you get in a taxi, and you're just sitting in the back, and you don't say a word? You get what I'm saying? Or like an Uber driver even. So like uh, anytime I would get in an Uber, it's front seat. I don't care what's going on. I don't care if they're uncomfortable. I'm the same. <laughs> I don't care if they're feeling like, oh, I'll just sit in the back. No, no, no. I'm sitting right in the front with you. I want to let you know. We don't have to say a word, but I'm sitting right beside you, letting you know we're homies. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I like that. Absolutely. And that's what I'm trying to get at. Like washing, the, washing someone's window, like they would barely even roll on the window. They might just put $2 coin in your hand and drive off like you don't exist. Same with the taxi driver. So... One and the same, exact same conversation, um, exact same energy, exact same feeling that I had, and um, yeah, it was it was it was quite beautiful. Like he he embraced me afterwards, you know, and he was telling me how much you know he appreciated that exchange. He was so so grateful for that opportunity to be in my chair and to get a haircut from me, and he feels so good. Uh, he felt like the the cleanest and the best he's ever you know felt in ages um, after that haircut. This is the guy at the barbershop. shop, so. Mm again you know what i mean like there's so much being seen and 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 there's there's so much humanizing effect about connecting to people in that way and um you know it's crazy like you wash your hands how good do you feel after you know washing your hands when it feels dirty imagine getting a haircut for sure you know what i mean it's, it's, it's really special it symbolizes so much more than just you know the physical shaving of the hair cleaning up the look there's so much more to it and i think that's why it's almost it's almost for a lot of people a spiritual experience. Yeah, bro, it's uh, it's, it's 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 an undescribable experience that can definitely um, impact you in ways that's so much more than just a material sense. Mm. Um, of course, there's people who just get their haircuts just to look materially pleasing as well. You know, they go every week without fail. But I mean, at the same time, yeah, maybe it may be a material means, but w if it does something to your psyche. And that can help you maybe on the other avenues in life. You know, it's pretty powerful. But, you know, it's going back to the spiritual effect. Like, you know, there was a period in my life where I was really struggling, you know. And my big brother, 
my oldest one um he's had a lot of like cool moments where he's just revolutionized my thinking and i was i was struggling a lot um <coughs> and i realized that throughout my life like there'd be moments where i'd be doing so well physically like i'd be going to the gym i'd be you know eating right but i'd still be struggling and then there'd be other times where i'd be like you know uh doing cbt or going to counseling and because sometimes you know i was a barber and dealing with the stuff that i dealt with on the streets and some of my traumas you know going through drug abuse and all that affects the way i think about certain things or perceive certain things and my anxiety can go through the roof and sometimes it's been like almost debilitating and <coughs> therapy has been something that i've had to you know check out and attend and so cbt for example cognitive behavioral therapy and stuff like that has been something that you know has been my go-to for a while and working on that you know and trying to work on my mind you know has been great and i've really focused on that and my emotions emotional stability and stuff like that but still i'm struggling in life and then he kind of just put it real simple he goes nah it's like you got to think of yourself as a tree you know and the base of the tree should be your spiritual side and then halfway throughout the tree or a quarter up the tree is going to be your emotional then it's going to go your physical then it's going to go your mental now it doesn't have to be in those orders except the spiritual should be at the base he goes those all need to be aligned you can't focus too much on one and neglect the other because the second you do that there's going to be a weak point and then the tree might snap mm. you get what i'm saying so get exactly what you mean. so it was very very important for me to kind of just understand okay cool so it's not only about going to the gym and eating right no it's not only about like you know listening to podcasts and focusing on mental health and taking cold showers it's about like taking into effect all the avenues that make you who mm. you are and essentially we're all spiritual beings right living that human experience so focus on the spirit first mm. however way you may do it whether it's through faith through religion through yoga through whatever so be it i'm not here to tell you what what to do for your spirit second is obviously well i guess second third and fourth should be all the other things now whatever order you put them in is up to you you know what I mean? But I would say, like, it, essentially, you want to go from spirit, then I guess the physical body kind of helps with the emotional and mental as well, right? Because you, you focus on that too. So uh, don't neglect that. You know, and there's some people who don't have the opportunity to work on their physical body because of disability. But, like, you know, um, there's plenty of people with disabilities out there that actually are killing it physically as well, too. So, I mean, wh wh whatever you can do to the best of your capacity, you know, I'll, I'm always going to suggest that. And since I started taking that on board, I realized sometimes I feel like I'm straying away and I'm not as, sh I'm not as rooted as I normally can be. Mm. And it's because I'm like, ah, oh, oh, yeah, it's because I'm not actually waking up first thing in the morning and saying my prayer, mm. humbling myself before something greater than me, you know. And it's interesting you bring that concept of smiles up um, and the importance of it. Um, so my 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 beliefs are within the Baha'i faith. You know, the Baha'i faith, yeah, some may call it a religion. I think of it as like a, uh, a, a spiritual um, path to the unity of mankind, right? And the reason why I say that is because I look at faith and all faiths as just one collective thought trying to bring us all together. Mm. Um, whether you're religious or not doesn't make a difference. We're all one regardless. And um, one of the prerequisites that the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith, Baha'u'llah, which means the glory of God, he says, he says there's four things he really wants us to do. One of the things is um, to have a face wreathed 
in smiling radiance so basically just constantly like have a beautiful opening inviting smile mm. you know just to allow people to feel like we're 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 welcoming we're not just firm sturdy angry fanatic religious people who mm, you're going to hell you know what i mean no it's not yeah. like that also like have enthusiasm and courage you know and everything you do and uh, look through your own eyes and not through the eyes of others so that's why there's no clergy or like you know priests or religious necessarily uh elders in our faith um we're all one and the last thing is to um once you start a task finish it those are just four 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 essential requisites that the prophet founder really wants us to do so i love that and Man, so i like that a lot yeah it's it's just simple but it's not the easiest but it's like when you think about the value and the importance of those four things like so much of your life can change i really resonate with what you said there about you don't see it as a religion but rather as a faith Mm. I have a similar feeling and practice within my own life. I grew up at a, at a Christian school, but not a particularly religious family. We never really attended church. Yep. Um, it was kind of not our thing. But I went to a Christian school just because it was a great school to go to. And okay. so I was around a lot of religion. And whilst I was, I was at school, I never really connected with it. But I remember just at one point in my teenage life, and I've shared this story a few times, so I won't bore people with it. But I remember like when my parents separated for the first time in my life, I remember being about 12 years old and I just had this overwhelming feeling that tonight my dad is at work. My dad was a police officer and I'm at my mum's place tonight and I would normally call my dad or my mum, whoever's house I was at, I'd call the other parent every night before I went to sleep just to check in and tell them I love them. Still do the same thing to this day. Wow. And so I remember beautiful. just thinking, I can't get on to dad. He's at work tonight. I don't know if he's safe. And for the first time in my life, I'm super aware of the fact that I'm going to sleep in a home where I don't know that both my parents are safe too. And I remember that felt overwhelming and I felt anxious about that. And I thought, what do I do when I'm out of control? And the only thing I needed to do was to put faith in something bigger than myself. And I said a prayer. Wow. And it's the first time I'd ever willingly set a prayer in my life wow. outside of school <clears throat> but i felt so at ease putting my faith in something else that night that this is no word of a lie that from the age of 12 when i did that for the first time until the age of 27 nearly 28 today every night before bed i've said that same prayer that's so beautiful bro i love that so much <laughs> that's so beautiful and it's just that fa it's that element of faith that's all it is man yeah that's all it is like i have no hard evidence that anything exists but I have this undeniable belief mm. that something is there and I don't know what it is but it's like how can you tell me that something's not there when I'm feeling these strong feelings that's just beyond like explanation uh, things that can calm me down because things that just are like way too intense to be coincidental or or you know uh, luck I remember going back to you know my drug abuse and the, the days of my drug abuse actually i i overdosed on this one drug and i started to have like almost like a psychotic kind of break and um it was quite severe i don't really remember much i just do remember i wanted to escape my skin it was weird bro like mm. i was so uncomfortable i couldn't handle being in my body are you comfortable talking about what drug it is uh, yeah, it was ativan it was like a it was like um uh what are they called benzo 
benzo um what's the full word for it? benzo something apine um they're kind of it's in the f- the line of like um zannies and okay stuff like that it's like a tranquilizer but like depressant yeah mm, uh yeah i mean like it's like a it severely calms your your nerves okay. but almost knocks you out okay um, but i took way too many um to the point where my body had like an allergic reaction to it or like wow. yeah, yeah it was real bad real bad bro oh my god it was probably the worst experiences of my life um and i don't really remember it because my body had just shut down like my mind had shut down but i do remember like leading up to that like i couldn't handle being present (laughs) oh my god it was such a trip um and i was at a restaurant with my family my middle brother had flown back from toronto with my sister-in-law now but at the time his girlfriend they were basically trying to get consent from my parents for marriage and so it was like a beautiful night me and my two three brothers or well, two brothers with so three of us my brother's girlfriend and my parents and i had taken some before dinner and i'm kind of just sitting there and i was just like okay this isn't good this isn't good and then i just kind of just went black uh went into like a like a like a blank space and i just kind of was coming in and out in and out in and out of like reality but we were not far from the hospital and my oldest brother is like, yo, this isn't right. So he picks me up because like I left the restaurant. I was like screaming at the top of my lungs and like everyone's like so scared of what's going on. And they didn't know what was happening. And he's like, man, let's just go and ask. You're all good. You're all good. Let's 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 go. Let's go, bro. And he's like tapping my back. He said the story a couple of times and it kind of like clicks, but I still don't really remember it. But when he says it, like I get choked up and I want to cry. Mm-hmm. And um, we go to the hospital and like we're in the emergency room and I'm like, I don't want to be here or something like that. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. I want to just want to get out of my skin. I want to, and I'm like dying to like, just not be alive almost. I was really struggling and my brother didn't know what to do. Uh, and we're in the hospital room just waiting to get seen. It was quite urgent. Like we got seen pretty quick from my knowledge, but he just grabs me at this point and he starts to just say this prayer. Is there any remover of difficulties? Save God, say praise be God, he is God. All are his servants and all abide by his bidding. Then he repeats it. Is there any remover of difficulties? Save God, say praise be God, he is God. All are his servants and all abide by his bidding. And he just kept saying that in my ear and I was like panicking, panicking. But every time he said it, I would just slow down, slow down and I would Mm. slow down. And then eventually I was actually somewhat calm that's like one of the recollections that I have from that moment mm. was th- that, that, that peace that I kind of felt after feeling absolute hell. And then I got taken instantly into, you know, a room and drugged up and basically knocked out for like days. Cause I was like, I, I couldn't handle it, I guess. And yeah, it was a, it was a horrible experience. And I was like, <laughs> unfortunately not the last time that I used drugs, but thinking of those memories and i'm just like man i was i was gone i was i was so far gone that Mm. i didn't realize the effect that i had on other people around me you know and something that i really regret man um how i was towards my middle brother and his wife or my sister-in-law like i love them a lot you know and i just feel like during such a beautiful important time in their life I, i was so selfish without realizing you know and it's all love it's all it's all it's all appreciative now and you know everyone's really close and they never hold anything over my head and make me feel guilty about it but 
still eats me up to this day that you know I, I I took away any of the joy during that period with stress and and like angst so you know I I I guess want to do everything I can from this day forward to constantly show them who I am now to never bring back those memories to potentially affect any more of their future I don't really keep in touch with people either like I'm I'm really bad with that too you know and that's another thing they're just so understanding and, and beautiful like I'm so lucky to have them all all my you know family members but my middle brother and his wife is just so appreciative and understanding and my older brother just always holding it down you know um I'm just really lucky to have an awesome family you know what I mean even though we were all very independent and when I started my drug abuse we had all kind of just been dispersed because my mm -hmm. parents split my oldest brother went to uni my other brother was at another school and I just kind of had to do my own thing at like 14 15 without realizing that that's kind of what shaped a lot of my immediate future after that mm. despite having an amazing family I just felt alone because we well, I went from overnight having a big family to like almost having no one because my mom would work two jobs and no one was at home basically when I'd come home I remember like my 14th birthday I came home and no one was there and I had to like cook myself dinner and I just go to sleep and that was like my birthday and that just still like hits me and doesn't seem that bad but for someone who was so used to having a big family to no one it was just um it was a really, really big change in my life overnight. And then I started to kind of just become more independent, I thought, and just, I push away from other people. Like, I didn't mm. want to gravitate and get close to people, um, I think. And, and drugs kind of helped me feel numb from wanting to escape people. Let me ask you this. So you mentioned before that you, you know, regularly see a therapist, that you've done some cognitive behavioral therapy. That word behavior, I find quite interesting, right? Because one of the things I spoke about at Humankind is the foundation of our beliefs. Now, we've touched on a few things that interlink here, so stay with me. I've heard Stephen Bartlett, Chris Williamson, these wonderful podcasters who are so smart and share so much wisdom talk about how belief is the product of evidence. Now, it is in many cases, but I believe where there's no evidence to support a change in belief, you need to have faith. That's where that special word faith comes in. Now, I've spoken on many occasions about my diagnosis story and the fact that there was no evidence to prove that my parents' optimistic beliefs about my life had any foundation. There was no foundation to that. They were pioneers in the way that they thought about cystic fibrosis and what my life would look like. They were operating purely off optimism and faith. However, that belief was the foundation that then followed with positive behavior. Those positive behaviors didn't guarantee, but ultimately led to fruitful results. And those fruitful results were then the evidence to reaffirm that belief that was founded off pure faith. Now, I wonder in your case, Naz, whether this reigns true, whether you feel or resonate with this on any level, the behavior of partaking in drugs to that level, the level in which for you become like a vortex that you got sucked into, what was the negative or the, the unfounded belief that encouraged that behavior? Uh, that's awesome. I think for me it was that wasn't good enough. Um, 
through and through. That's something that I realized. And I and as a result, I always try to do stuff to make people proud of me or happy of me or, um, you know, respect me in a way. And so I was chasing this idea of who I had to be. Mm. I felt like I had to be like the members of my family, you know, just like amazing individuals doing great things. But also I think the fact that not being good enough, I think that intertwines to something that I'm unpacking recently is when I went from having a big family to all of a sudden like kind of being alone, like, oh, I'm not good enough because I'm alone now. Like, you mm. know, even though we were all connected, it's just this belief that I had, I guess, as, as a child, like, oh, because I don't know, I just felt alone all of a sudden. So uh, I, I wanted people to like really appreciate who I was and what I was doing. And I was always looking at my brothers as like my inspirations. You know, that's why I got them tattooed on my eyelids because mm. I look up to them, right? Mm. I'm the baby. I tattooed my two eyelids. It's funny. They hated the tattoo when I first got it. Now they're like, yeah, it's all good, but it's just funny. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Like laser them off? But um, yeah, like I think I think that was a huge thing. I wasn't good enough and I wanted to feel loved, even though I may have felt loved or I'm sorry, I may have been loved. I just didn't feel it again. I was seeking so hard to be understood mm. as opposed to understanding like, OK, my mom loves me. She's working two jobs to provide food for us. And yeah, I came home on my birthday, but that's because my mom was out there making money. So I have the food to eat on my birthday my oldest brother it's not that he didn't like me he just had to go away to university to start his life and my middle brother he was playing year 12 you know he also was provincial rugby player and so i never really got to see him and my dad was trying to get back on you know his own two feet after business went bankrupt when we were children so like it was just there's a whole bunch of ways you can challenge your beliefs but as a child you don't have i think the coping skills or the understanding and the skills to really um challenge and fight those thoughts um, and for me it's like I always remember my family being so you know loved and respected and talked about yeah and, and I thought to myself I want to be like that I need to be like that so the more you're trying to be like someone you're not the further you go away from who you are and I guess that's what happened you know I ended up losing myself so mm. so isn't yeah. that interesting so because and the reason I ask you this I, I had a feeling that you'd say that because I think this feeling of not enoughness is something that every single one of us as human beings can relate to on some level. Absolutely. Like, I see it in the Absolutely. couple of videos that I watched of you out on the streets, cutting and connecting. Mm. You listen to these stories mm -hmm. and, you know, one story might be that, that this gentleman is living on the street because the breakup of his marriage and ultimately you hear about the story that's then followed and you're like, oh, I can sense that that's coming from a feeling of you weren't good enough. Mm -hmm. Your partner has left you, your wife's mm -hmm. left you, whoever it is. And now this is the result. Yeah. And it's, I think for so many of us in our life, you spoke about how the more you're trying to be like someone else, the further you go away from yourself. And you know, they often say that comparison is the thief of joy. Mm -hmm. I think that comparison is the thief of identity because you yeah, think true. about this world that we exist in where there are so many examples of, like you said, not true or genuine personality because social media is so different to, <laughs> to real life. And yeah. some, you know, you can show up. I'd like to think I'm authentic on social media, but it'd be foolish to think that anyone sees a 365-degree view of my life and the challenges. Like, I don't go to social just to post about the tough stuff that's a part of every day. But to look at anyone's social media and think that their life is all sweet and all rosy 
and to compare yourself just robs you of the identity and the foundation of who you truly are. Yeah, hell yeah. My, mind you, like we can think we're as authentic as we can be on socials, but like I'm guilty of it and I'm sure you, uh, let me ask you, have you ever not posted something because you just didn't like the way you looked or the way you said something about it? Of course. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. So we, like we're authentic, as authentic as we want people to perceive us. Our true authenticity is showing even the negative parts of it, right? And I think the Japanese have this awesome saying. It's like we have three masks. The mask we want other people to see is the first mask. The second mask is the mask that friends and family see. And the third mask is the mask that only we get to see. So social media is like the first one. The mm. second one is, I think, real life. And then the third one is just us alone in bed or in our room or driving in the car because we're very very different even with friends and family like i know my family knows me very well but mm. they don't know me fully <laughs> you know what i mean like a hundred percent i'm not being rude by the way nah, i'm getting something up that i want to read to you i imagined you were there's this incredible i'm sure you've heard it uh i'm i'm pretty sure it's titled it's not the critic who counts it's by teddy roosevelt um, it's just taking a long time to load but it's this actually no it's not the critic who counts it's the man in the glass have you ever heard that? I think so, bro. I actually think so. But I'm not sure. I really want to hear this. I'm is it by Teddy Roosevelt or someone else? Um, the Man in the Glass. Let me tell you a spot. The Critic Who Counts is by Teddy Roosevelt. The Man in the Glass. I once heard, you know, Eddie Hearn, the boxing promoter? Mm-mm. I heard Eddie Hearn share this. It's by Peter Dale Wimbro Sr. What a name. <laughs> Let, me re- <laughs> Let me share this with you. <laughs> When you get what you want in your struggle for self and the world makes you king for a day, just go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that man has to say. For it isn't your father or mother or wife whose judgment upon you must pass. The fellow whose verdict counts most in your life is the one staring back from the glass. He's the fellow to please, never mind all the rest, for he's with you, clear to the end. And you've passed your most difficult and dangerous test if the man in the glass is your friend. You may fool the whole world down the pathway of years and get pats on your back as you pass, but your final reward will be heartache and tears if you've cheated the man in the glass. Mm, that's cool. And that's cool. it speaks to it, man, but, but we live in a world where everyone's looking for the pat on the back. Hell Everyone yeah. wants the, the likes. You know, how, how many people's self-worth has been wrapped up in this idea of how many likes, followers, shares, comments, how many listeners of the podcast, you know, will I then be enough? Hmm. That external game is never enough. There's no finish line. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's ultimately coming back to yourself. And I often think, mate, to be honest with you, I come from the most loving, beautiful and validating family in the most special way that my family... I never once in the company of my family ever felt as though I wasn't loved, appreciated, valued. Like I've for all of my life known that in their presence, in the presence of my partner and my closest friends, I am valued and loved as exactly who I am. Mm. However, I went through a period of my life where I struggled with cystic acne. We spoke about it before and that's how we got onto the teeth thing. And I have big chompers. And I've got, I feel like I've got two big middle teeth and because of the shape of my mouth, which is kind of like the shape of a fish's mouth. And I, like, I'm okay with it. I love, I love who I am now and wouldn't change it. 
Charming. There's, the we knew we'd get to it. That was the word. The teeth for charming. Sorry. Because there's like a charm about it, bro. Mm, I appreciate it. Oh, that's it. That was it. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. So there's such charm about that face and that mm. smile, bro. I look at that. I'm like, yo, that's cool as hell. Anyway, sorry. Well, I appreciate that. That's, that's what I said. Kind. I said your personality and also your look. It was all charming. There was a charm that, about that. That's what it was. Cheers. Yes, I remember I appreciate that. it. All right, my bad. Well, isn't it funny, though, that, like, I remember once, I would have been maybe 11, man, 11 or 12, and just someone at school made a passing comment, you've got a mouth like a fish. And from that moment onwards, I never quite see my teeth the same. It become just like an insecurity. And so, like, I find it so funny, though, that, like, for a lot of years, like, between the acne and that, I just become so insecure about the way that i look really bro you yeah. look like a ken doll bro you're like you're like like an ideal like specimen in my opinion oh, you know? I, I i'm not just it. saying that in like a like a weird yeah. ass way but like i look at you your hair is perfect clean cut good structure good eyes i'm like what the hell how could you be insecure how ken insecure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate that a lot man but it's it's funny isn't it that like you get to a point in your life where i realized how much of an effect that that insecurity was having on me. Hell yeah. And funnily enough, Dill, who you met today, who's yeah. been kind enough to let us use the studio here this whole week. Shout out Dill. Shout out Dill Buckley. What a great man. One of the things that when I first done my episode on his podcast, there was like a few clips that I shared on socials off the back of that that went crazy, right? I'm talking like a million views crazy. And so when wow. you get a million people who look at something, it is guaranteed not all of them will love it. Not all of them no way. will will like you. Like, it's just part of the deal, right? Hell yeah. So okay with that in my position now. When I started the podcast, I was so concerned about criticism. Yeah. Remember the disheartening feeling the first time I got a four-star ra- four rating instead of all fives? Oh, I was crushed. But I'm so okay with the fact now that not everyone needs to like me. Yeah, hell yeah, bro. And I'm like, a few people commented on that clip like with that um the two eyes and then that big mouth with the teeth right and i was just like i'm so chill with that because i've got literally the sexiest woman in the world is my girlfriend <coughs> you know second to mine like, <laughs> no, we can agree to disagree on that right yeah, that's the special enough. thing about being um being in love fair you know it's, it's funny that like i've i feel like i've come back to myself at this point in my life and i'm very okay with who i am in fact i love who i am and for me, the more I lean into that and the more that I surround myself with these incredible people who love me for me, the more it reaffirms that you're enough as yourself. Hell yeah, bro. Hell yeah. And like, you know, going back to like, we were talking about our, our partners and like, you know, who we think is got the sexiest one. I think m- mine, like mine, that's like my property. The, the woman that I've been lucky enough to get close to um, and 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 be with she's been really i think great and making me feel like love and i am good enough and i regardless of what i f- may have been insecure about like she doesn't see that mm. you know she's a great human being um and also just a warrior you know i love that girl mm. you know? um and so yeah it's it's pretty cool to have really important people in your life who are just supporting you and making you feel worthy you know and yeah you know shout out to her name bro like she's just the goat 
for me in my life and just kind of help calm so many of my my nerves and my issues and my and my doubts that I have within mm. myself but you know I think it's important that we can try to do that without someone else kind of helping but if someone's there to kind of aid it you know what I mean then don't rely only on it use that momentum to also work on it yourself Correct. and then to kind of use that as a crutch to finding that 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 validation or that worth from your own self not necessarily through someone else as well right so whether or not that sexy person is going to be with you or not you know what I mean like it shouldn't take away from the validation and that you are enough still right for you sure. just may not have been for that person it doesn't mean you're not enough for that person you're just mm. not for that person there's a difference right so yeah but i'm still grateful for test name you know and uh and my family so um man that was that was some good 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 uh insight dude i i really got emotional when i talked about my brother and my and my and my uh sister-in-law at that mm. point I feel like I've never really talked about them in a podcast and I kind of really brought myself back to that that memory which I haven't really brought myself back to mm. you know what I mean especially on a podcast not that it's an issue like I talk about whatever I've talked about with no hesitation because mm. it's not a lie you know what I mean it's not a fake story either it's who I am and how I got to where I'm I'm w where I am now so it's it's never a fear but it's sometimes I forget about memories you know and um, it's crazy what trauma can do to the mind, you know, and if such if it's unresolved and unpacked, mm. so yeah, but it's been good, man, and um, yeah, I'm just grateful to be in your presence too, my guy. It's been long overdue. I appreciate overdue. that, brother. Yeah, bro, straight up. I appreciate it. I, I will say it's you know for me, I didn't know you like you didn't know me before that moment, and as immediately after I met you, I remember asking you, and I remember it was very cool because you said to me. We should get a photo because we'll remember that one day. It was something along the lines of that. And I remember we got That's this cool. photo and... Wow. I like that. You, know, it was, <laughs> you, like, you probably didn't even remember that, but I remember, I remember that exact like moment of like getting the photo together. And you left to go and speak because you were immediately speaking after this interaction. And I said to Soph, we need to go watch Naz speak. And I watched you speak and I don't know how you feel about this because people might not realize this, but you do really well as a speaker. You get some great opportunities in front of some great crowds and they're all great crowds because you know the, the opportunity to share and connect and I love what you said about identifying not as a speaker but rather storyteller because I see myself in that same, yeah. that same way. I've always found for me personally that the most traditional speakers who are trained in the art of speaking, I don't enjoy as much as I enjoy the storytellers who are there to share something that's really well and real. And maybe that's just the way that I learn. Like I love, I don't particularly love self-help books or, you know, self-development books. I really like listening to someone's story or hearing a story and taking my own actionable insight from it. Yeah. But I just remember being so incredibly moved by your story that I left there and I was like, man, that's, that's changing people's lives. Thanks for her. That's cool. That was cool. I love to hear that, especially from you too, man. I appreciate you. And it's cool that you like, you know, this when you were talking about stories right now, I just thought about it. I was like, storytelling is, is how we've learned for like centuries too, right? You get me? And so like, damn, man, you look at like some indigenous cultures and like the whole like creation of mankind is, was, a, was birthed from stories. You know what I mean? And so like, mm. 
there's so much and like it's still such a firm belief mm. for a lot of people you know around the world like one of my friends george he's a modi um man who was telling me like we were talking about faith and you know um religion and then he talked about his his understanding of of the creator and creation and it was all based off maori mm. story right and and legends or i found i feel like such a westerner <laughs> maori mm. legends and to them it's just like that's life right so i don't i don't know how i'm supposed to say it without sounding like a dweeb but yeah the way he said it was cool and i was like yo that's dope and i'm not disagreeing with it either like i think there's validity in that you know like my concept of god necessarily isn't this dude on on a cloud chilling it's could very well be the same energy that the maori like understanding or or or, or belief on the creator you know it could be one and the same but i just have a different name to what a maori or aboriginal mm -hmm. or native american First Nation anywhere around the world will have. I, at the end of the day, it's funny. We 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 we. <laughs> I th I think about this when I think of religion too, man. Like, at this point, we're not really actually um, fighting about what we believe in. We're more so fighting about just the names, mm. the sounds that come out of our throat, essentially. Because it's like, yo, I'm a Muslim. You're a Christian, or I'm a Jew. You know, and you're Baha'i. It's just like, so you don't understand like it's just the sounds different the word is different that's all it is but at the end of the day w like we all believe in the same thing and we and this is about everything outside of faith it's like we we <laughs> we spend so much time fighting about our differences instead of celebrating our similarities mm. you know and this is I it love that. yeah bro we're fighting over inches when like we're forgetting the fact that we've got like miles literally comes back to what you said before seek to not be understood but rather to understand yeah yeah well i didn't say that it pretty sure it was brianna brown brene brown brene brown there we you go you repeated or it though so you know there's <laughs> some validity in saying it's yours today all right cool it's yours in this moment all right i'll take you know? it i'll take it seek to understand not to be understood before oh actually the exact same is seek to understand before being understood and that is by, just for anyone. Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> that would be, be the biggest trip, bro. <laughs> Seek to understand it was by, whoa, I was so off. I was so off. Stephen R. Covey. Wow. Damn. No idea who that is. Me neither, bro. But let me tell you. But I reckon one of those two women repeated it in one of their books because i remember when matt was telling me he did mention one of their names so well they're both um incredible in their own right let me ask you naz how long have you been sober now 11 years whoa i like yeah, that the for the those who can't at. see it the tally on yeah. the inside of the every hand. year man every year so i got my 12th coming up in march march 23rd so we're almost there congratulations yeah thanks man thank congratulations. you congratulations and i think it's so you know, we're sort of coming towards the end of our time here. I could speak to you for literally hours. This has gone so quick. <laughs> Likewise, bro. But I just think you're such a shining light for people who are in the darkness right now. And, and I want to commend you on that. And I would encourage anyone listening to the pod, watching the pod, however you're consuming this, whether it's just a clip on social media. I'm probably not going to clip up this moment right here of me wrapping up the show. But however you've consumed this. I'm going to make sure that all the links to everything you do is in the show notes because there is a bigger story behind what we've just discussed today 
and I'd encourage people to go and, and look at it. And especially if you're going through a tough time right now, you're this shining light of what is possible. And so seek this man as your lighthouse. Damn. Um, brother, it's been such a pleasure to Appreciate reconnect face to face again Appreciate and you. you know share some yarns. Heck yeah, bro. Lifelong brotherhood, I hope. I love it. All right, bro. My pleasure. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks, what a bro. cracker. Yeah, that was great. <laughs>